one of the things now that I find really important to say is overestimate how much any talking about trauma, healing, and resilience will impact you in the day. Like, take a walk after you listen to this podcast. Just, like, make leave space. space. <laughs> make space. So that's yeah. just so, like, yeah. such a countercultural thing at this moment in time. Hello, I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashivenu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. I want to thank all the listeners of Hashivenu over these last 18 months as we've learned how to do a podcast on resilience. It's been an extraordinary experience, and the reception has been tremendous. We are starting a new season of Hashivenu. Um, so what I'd love to do is, I, I hope you'll be interested, I'd love to ask all of you who are listening to take some time to rate our podcast. It is well-received and well-regarded and has a growing listenership, and your rating on whatever platform you listen will really help us to boost the listenership. I want to tell you a little bit about the new season. Uh, we are shifting a little bit to focus in on unleashing the deep wisdom in Judaism that promotes resilience. We've been doing that all along, but right now we're going to focus in on practices. And across Reconstructing Judaism, we're in the midst of cultivating and creating tools that uh, promote resilience. And um, we're also experimenting with different ways to get the, these tools out to the wider Jewish community. Some of them look at different levels of commitment. Some of them we're talking, thinking about different ways like podcasts and websites and face-to-face -face gatherings to promote an embrace of Jewish wisdom, of Jewish practice, and of the cultivation of resilience. So to start us off on this exploration, I am so happy to welcome Rabbi Jessica Rosenberg. Jessica is a recent graduate from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. She graduated in 2018, and uh, she'll share with, uh, with us a little bit about her journey. Um, she came to rabbinical school with a deep background as a community activist. And while she was in rabbinical school, she developed a, a deep interest in and a growing expertise in trauma and how it has informed Jewish experience on both the individual and the collective level. And most importantly, I think, to go along with that understanding, some thoughts about how to bring awareness and move beyond the trauma. Um, and that I would put forward as significantly about what the work of cultivating resilience is about. And since she has graduated over these last couple of years, um, she has been able to kind of... Um, bring this all together in the work that she's doing as a rabbi. Jessica works for Ben the Ark as the Rabbinic Organizing Fellow, and she also does really important work for the Rabbinical College, for the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. She is the project director for work we are doing on creating a trauma-informed rabbinate, mm -hmm. and she also, for Reconstructing Judaism, is the project director for Reset, which cultivates resilience practices for Jewish social justice organizations. So we're going to talk about all of that and our larger mission yeah. in our conversation today. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. 
where I want to begin is to ask you to talk a little bit about like the, I just painted the headlines. Um, I want to talk about, you know, what, what drew you to rabbinical school and what, what were you hoping um, when you, you are, I'm proud to say, a child of the Reconstructionist Child movement. of the movement, so, lifelong Reconstructionist. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk a little bit about, yeah, <laughs> you have great parents. <laughs> talk about how, you know, how, how, you, how you came to, to be here. In rabbinical school, yeah. Um, so in my mid-20s, I was working as a community organizer in a neighborhood in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, and I was involved in queer and gender justice work, racial justice work, and um, through in that work, people started, I got in more contact with conversations about Israel-Palestine, and in the process of my first time really as an adult, uh, engaging with and thinking about my relationship to Israel-Palestine, um, decided I needed to recommit to my adult Jewish life. Um, and I had never, I you know, I'd been going to Reconstruction Synagogue, my Rabim of the Twin Cities, um, and had had a like consistent uh, Jewish life, high school, college, after, um, but just found myself in these, in both in my work as a neighborhood organizer and in my um, adult engagement with uh, learning about Israel, asking questions about what uh, about Jewish history, about Jewish practice, and wanting more and deeper connection, and really wanting to like mature uh, my connection, practice, understanding. At the same time, um, in a lot of social justice and movement spaces, in particular the U.S. Social Forum in Detroit in 2010, um, there was a Healing Justice track, and it was the first time I really learned about. Uh, movement or about, I mean, at that time, now I think people will talk about healing justice as a movement. At that time, not that many years ago, um, it was many practitioners and thinkers, I think, like recognizing each other as like, oh, we're doing, we're doing similar things. Um, primarily black and brown women, indigenous women saying that our political organizing is not separate from our individual and collective healing and our individual and collective healing cannot be separate from our anti-oppression values, political work in the world. And in that vein, I think one of the one of the charges or one of the one of the values that I heard was ground your political work in spiritual practice and culture and tradition. And if possible, have it be your own. Like don't yeah, you know, especially yeah. given the history of white folks appropriating other people's traditions. Um Turn to your own people um, and learn your own history. Um, I read an essay by Aurora Levins Morales um, called Historian as Curandera that talks about, in her book, Medicine Stories, that talks about the role of the historian as a healer um, and what stories are told and not, um, what parts of our histories are told and not as a deeply um, political act and part of healing collectives, um, collective bodies. Um, and Somehow through all of that, I um, decided that I wanted to learn my people's history. Um, and I thought about actually like the other track was maybe like a master's in Jewish history um, or a, you know, academic world of Jewish history. But what I really wanted was to have delivery methods. How do we get the good stuff out into the world and to people? And that's what I saw rabbinical school as an opportunity to do was to learn my people's history and very much came to RSC to Reconstructionist Rabbinical College because of the civilizational frame and the deep learning of Jewish history and then the, okay, how do we decide what stories we're going to tell and 
bring them to people's daily lives and understandings of the world. Um, I think it's, I mean, I want to pause because there's like so much, like uh, so much that woke up for me. Like one is just from my, um, my own experience. I, as an undergraduate, I was a religion major and I was really, really interested in early Christianity. And Mm. I was really, and then I got really interested in Christianity in America. And like, there was this moment when I was a junior where I was like, why am I so deeply immersed in another person's, another, another faith tradition? Mm-hmm. And what's, like, I, I'm not certain I could totally articulate what, and then some of it had to do with I didn't really love the Jewish studies majors. Like, there, some of it was just really, yeah. like, very, very yeah. local. But it was, I remember at this young age of, like, I have this choice of, am I going to get deeply immersed in another faith mm-hmm. tradition or am I, I going to get deeply immersed in my own? Yeah. And making that choice to kind of start to move over to my own tradition in my academic work. And my personal practice was always very, very Jewish. And then just to reflect on like history versus rabbinate, like I felt like in my 20s, I was choosing between rabbinical school and getting a PhD and thought in my 20s that I made the choice for rabbinical school. Okay, but you did both, I did both. So it turns out it was was a choice to sequence rather than Mm -hmm. between them. So that's it. But I I will say about this, and it goes really right to the to the storytelling and to mm-hmm. the community building and to the delivery that you were talking about where I am I am so grateful that I uh, chose the rabbinical school first, that I did do this mm. sequence. Um, I mean, like the doctorate was incredibly helpful. It really helped me to, um, even though I had outstanding education in my undergraduate and my rabbinical training, like it really helped me to think critically and to process a lot of different yeah. information, a lot of information very, very quickly. And I have no regrets about it. The rabbinical training cracked my heart open. Mm-hmm. It cracked my heart open in a way that was just um, life changing. And I am so, I, I really think if I had done the academic piece, I'm not certain I ever would have looped back around to the rabbinical piece. And I think I would have been really in the, when people talk about the different meanings of academic, I think I would have been really removed. And at the end of the day, I really feel like the rabbinical work is about being with people mm-hmm. and being with people at moments that matter, helping them create and find meaning individually and collectively. And Mm -hmm. that is really, that is personally redemptive. And I think that that's really essential for the larger project. Yeah. So, so, okay, you came to rabbinical school. Here I am. Well, and you're done. (laughs) There I was. Done. There you were. Um, It was a great celebration when you graduated. (laughs) Tell me about how you found your way to investigating trauma. Yeah. So I came to rabbinical school, as I said, with these questions and this framework really of historian as Corindera, as healer, um, as a as a possibility, as an aspiration. And I just had been hearing about in the water, in many rooms I'm in, um, collective trauma, historical trauma as a framework that was of interest <laughs> and especially as naming, as thinking about Jewish collective trauma as something that impacts how we, how Jewish communities are shaped today, um, what we prioritize, how we respond to things. Um, I was very lucky to get to do an independent study that Rabbi Mordechai Liebling supervised me on, um, where I started with like a huge range of questions about what is collective historical trauma? What is a collective body? How do we heal it? What does it mean? Um, And over the course of it started out as a one semester independent study and then i just like kept 
reading. Um, and also just say that actually like diving into reading books about trauma um, slowed me down in a good, in a really good way um, that I started reading a lot and um, learning about the impacts of traumatic events on individual bodies, brains, hearts, spirits, and learning about that brought up a lot of stuff for me and about own experiences in my own life. And one of the things now that I find really important to say is overestimate how much any talking about trauma, healing, and resilience will impact you in the day. Like, take a walk after you listen to this podcast. Just, like, make leave space. space. Make space. So, <laughs> yeah. it's just so like, yeah. such a countercultural thing at this moment in time when we're so... And I have to continuously remind me, remind myself of this, that, like, I will do a training, read an article, and then just keep going about my day, answering emails, texting, mm. boo -doo 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 -doo. and then, then like half an hour later, I'm like, I feel kind of dizzy or something, you know, just like notice the impact and be like, uh-huh, yeah, you did the thing again. Um, so that, just to finish that, mm. I uh, did what ended up being a year-long independent study and came to focus on rabbis and the role of rabbis in healing individual collective and historical trauma and that is how i ended up yeah doing all the things i'm doing now well i think i want to talk about a couple of things one of the things that is i think important about your analysis is and that how you've educated me and the faculty of the rabbinical college is that you really do an overlapping analysis and you you think about individual trauma and you think about collective trauma and you think about historical trauma and you're looking for overlays and intersections and that that is um, that kind of sensitivity and that kind of sophistication, flexibility and sophistication, I think is really, really important to pay attention to that we are constantly affected on all these different levels and to try to both train leaders about it and even to train individuals, practitioners and individuals in that kind of sensitivity that that the lens shifts, I think, is, is, is part of what is really uh, essential about the sensibility that you bring to it. Thank you. Yeah. So one of the things that has been really helpful for me in learning about trauma, healing, and resilience is that I want to learn from as wide a range of scholars, practitioners, uh, wisdom makers as possible, and have really found a lot of generativeness from pulling from clinical, the field of, you know, psychology and clinical work, neuroscience, sociology, anthropology, historians, uh, healing justice organizers, like just a really wide range of um, practitioners. And what I've noticed is that people don't are sometimes use the words intergenerational collective and historical trauma interchangeably. For me, it's been helpful to um, kind of sort those things. Um, and almost and, like categorize them. Like, yeah, a little yeah. bit. And to say, um, when I say intergenerational trauma, I'm talking about the impact on a specific family or family system of unresolved trauma in a parent or caretaker's life being passed on to families, um, to next generations. Um, when I say collective trauma, I'm talking about the impact of an overwhelming event on a collective of people who are not necessarily all present for for that event. Um, so you know, for me growing up, 
September 11th as a collective trauma. I was not in New York City and as someone with a shared identity, um, felt impacted by that. Um, and historical trauma, ancestral trauma, which really as learning a lot from Native American scholars about naming how collective traumas that happen to uh, groups of people then can be passed down as inter- like through intergenerational means calling that historical trauma, ancestral mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that I have really a growing awareness of and that I find it easy to ignore, and we kind of evoked it earlier in our conversation, is how how embodied trauma is, mm-hmm. that it um, that we really, there's a really influential text for practitioners on the, the body keeps the score that really talks about how how much the body really carries around the trauma, whatever the source of it is. And um, so I just, I wonder, I think it's probably important for even as we spend a lot of time in this podcast talking about resilience to just kind of pause a little mm-hmm. bit the same way we said let's pause and make space because I think that that's what we're making space is for like to register the impact and to in that registering allow it to shift a little bit. So um, can you talk a little bit about about embodiment, trauma and embodiment? I, I can try. I <laughs> Yeah. Um, talking about embodiment feels really important to me. Um, and I hesitate as uh, a rabbi and not a body worker or, uh, you know, someone trained specifically in body systems. Um, and to me, it's actually one of the areas that I feel I have the most learning to do. Like you went for your PhD after the podcast is done recording, you'll do some career counseling to me on what my next um, what my next training is, um, because I would love so much to learn more about bodies. Um I think it makes so much sense to me. I mean, you you know, you talk about what's next. I I, I have the rabbinical training, I have the doctoral training, and I I, may, I think I've said this in, over the course of the podcast. Like, I feel like the the doctoral training is about the head. The rabbinical training mm. is a lot about the head, but also about the heart and the integration of the two. And for me, in this stage of my life, the next stage is about the body. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the last almost ten years now, I've had a pretty serious yoga practice, mm-hmm. which is about trying to. For me to even just be aware mm-hmm. of my body and to learn new patterns in my body. So, I, I mean, I want for me when I think about what is the next learning I want to do. Sometimes I think about you know somatics and mm-hmm. and paying attention, and and it has to do. For sure, it has to do with integration. Um, for sure, it has to do with my own history and how um, how much I actually both embody my own traumas mm-hmm. and, and just experiences and then how much I cut myself off from my body yeah. in um, making my way through the day. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I think part of the hesitation you're hearing in my voice is that I think sometimes when we first, I and this was true for me as well, when people first hear about or read The Body Keeps the Score or hear about trauma, healing, and resilience and it lives in the body, there's a rush towards mm-hmm. um, that. And I've, I've experienced this in some Jewish spaces and spiritual spaces and organizing spaces where, okay, now we're going to everybody pay such deep attention to your body. And what I've learned from people with more advanced trauma training than I have that that's not actually always a good idea. (laughs) Like it's not in a big public room and hundreds of with hundreds of people in synagogue to pay close attention to where you're holding tension in your body might be a really bad move. So I do want to just offer, you know, like offer this as an area of um, one, one thing that in the 
training rabbis and Jewish leaders about trauma, healing, and resilience to think about what space you are in. Absolutely. And how and what's appropriate for that right. space and um have a lot of humility about that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a I think it's a it's a work in I mean, Judaism historically is a deeply embodied, mm -hmm. deeply material religion. But I think in the modern era, it has gotten much more spiritualized. It has gotten much more intellectualized. And I think part of what we're trying to do, like, you know, at Pendulum Swing, yeah. like part of this separate from trauma is about kind of a, a return more toward, I think there's a different balance. And so it's, but, but you know, these things are messy as we yeah, find our way yeah, toward them. Yeah. So this question about what is Jewish wisdom about embodiment is something I'm really interested in. As we talked about, like, go to our own people, mine mm -hmm. our own traditions. I think there's a trope that uh, Judaism is very heady. We're just, like, studying texts in our head, you know, studying all the time and very much in our heads and not in our bodies. Is there a truth to that or not? Obviously, it's going to be really diverse for different in different Jewish communities. I'm really interested in halakha as an embodiment practice. Jewish law. Ah, um, and um, Jewish – that like kashrut is mm -hmm. a Jewish embodiment practice. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that you say moda'ani, the um, prayer of gratitude for waking up, before you put your feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. It's like there's, there's an embodiment. We think often of, or we focus on the line of text. But for me, the act of like waking up, being aware of my body – and my aliveness and not and like hesitating, not putting my feet on the floor before I say that line. And like I sometimes hold my feet like right over right mm -hmm. over the ground while I say that line. That's an embodiment practice. Um, washing our hands is an embodiment practice. Mikvah is an embodiment practice. Um, uh, wearing a tleet katan for me is an embodiment practice. That's a, that's the that's a version of a talus. So it's almost like a a, sh a shirt that you wear underneath your clothes, where the you have the forward seat seat, but it's you you put it right next to your mm -hmm. body and you wear it throughout the day. And, and yeah, and the goal of that is to remind you have it be to visible yeah, and on your body. Be, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I you know I think um, when I focus in on okay, not you know not embodiment in an abstract way, but literally something that lets me be aware of my body in space and all of its experiences, Jewish traditional practice has a lot of that. And a lot of it is very fraught around gender and yeah, um, right. sexuality and different ideas about the body. And part of the cool thing about being a Reconstructionist is that I've, we have many generations of wrestling with that, with the tradition and, um, you know, making it work it. in yeah. our time. So like, some of my tattoos are Jewish embodiment yeah, practices right. um, for me that are ways of um, bringing Jewish tradition wisdom literally into my body in a way that I like see and feel. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it's uh, like I, I I feel like Shabbat, which mm. we often like Jacob Staub was on the podcast and talked about um, Shabbat, Shabbat Vayinafash, that we mm. rest and we are re-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D. But there, even though we're talking about soul, for me, like when I feel like my soul is nourished is also when I feel like my body is yeah. nourished. So, you know, so like Shabbat is like Shabbat is about like time and like what how am I going to fill that time? And many times that is going to shul and being with my community and chanting and singing and learning. And other times it may be about 
A, sleeping in Mm -hmm. and B, then like having a lot of time to meditate and then having a lot of time for for going for a Shabbat walk or a Shabbat bike ride. And that that is like, but it's about, I've spent my week running. I haven't taken the time that we prompted people toward at the beginning. (laughs) And and, and like, so here's here's the time to take the time and to like feel and to discern what do I need? What do I want? And like, that's 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 radical yeah like, you know yeah so. well and singing in community yeah, is a body is an embodiment absolutely. experience or hopefully can can be yeah. absolutely so let's talk a little bit about reset about um, resilience practices um, and this year uh, the 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 project is really focused on um, Jewish social justice organizations so mm-hmm. we're paying attention to the same kind of thing that this podcast is and other uh, projects that we're doing across the Reconstructionist movement, and this is with a real focus on uh, on, on activists, and both about um, self care and practices, and then also maybe about uh, like a parent toward a paradigm of sustainability, and um, really being able to do the work, the mission driven, world changing work in a really sustainable way. You want to, want to talk a little bit more about? Yeah. Uh, so the the vision of reset is that when social change leaders and organizers are resourced to build their own resilience practices, um, they will be well. First of all, that we need to resource people to have resilience practices. That you don't. It's hard to just wake up in the morning and, you know, meditation practices don't fall out of the sky. They actually really need to be supported by teachers, community teach practice. Um, apps so, and, yeah, and yeah, technology. Yeah. yeah, all the things. So um, so part of this program is um, resourcing social justice and social change organizers um, with recordings and videos of practices with uh, communities of practice um, and with really wonderful teachers. Um, and then the second part is how to people bring resilience practices to their social justice organizations and how do we um, embody collective resilience at the organizational level? So what does it look like for a whole organizational culture to to embody resilience, whether that's flexibility, balance, kindness, love, energy, abundance, like the different mm-hmm. traits of mm-hmm. of resilience? How do we support organizations to practice that? And very much the same way that an individual uh, needs to experiment with is meditating in the morning right for me or is chanting at night right for me, that we want to support organizations to experiment with different resilience practices um, and how to embed them in organizational culture to for the sake of organizations embodying resilience and better meeting their missions and visions for the world. Um, that's really great. And like Reset is one of those um, sites where we're really experimenting in a lot of different ways. And I know that some of the things that have been created for Reset include, you know, you, you just listed some of them. Some and, and and we've discussed them over the course of this podcast, of the, of, the, of the podcast series, like chant and meditation, guided meditation and study mm-hmm. and musar and, you know, midot tovot, uh, you know, uh, cultivating character. So... Um, it's it's I think it's a really important project. I think it really kind of embodies what you were talking about, um, some of the things that you encountered when you were in in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities. I think at the core of reset is this understanding that we talk a lot about tikkun olam, about repairing the world, and this understanding that 
um, you, we can't really separate out tikkun nefesh, the mm. repairing of the spirit, the repairing of the individual on the individual level. That that those two are intertwined, yes. and to yeah. try to separate them, you know, the focus only on tikkun nefesh can be self-absorbed. Yeah, uh, but the focus only on tikkun olam is not necessarily sustainable. Yeah, and. I've learned a lot from Generative Somatics as an organization that also works at this intersection of individual practice with collective vision. And one of the prompts they have, or they talk about healing for the sake of what? Um, And so for me, it's really like, how do we ground our tikkun nefesh for the sake of tikkun olam? Like that I'm I'm doing my uh, care, spiritual work in a way that hopefully connects me to the health of the planet, to the health of my community, and resources me to be able to show up more wholeheartedly, uh, more clear, more empowered in the work of connecting planet and people. It's a beautiful way to end. I mean, I think that that is exactly like, like to end on a reflection on interdependence, because mm-hmm. for sure, when you look at the psychological li- literature on resilience, they they that the talking about both the awareness of that interdependence and the cultivation of that interdependence is quite possibly the most critical factor in terms of cultivating resilience. And indeed, I think that that's what Jewish wisdom mm-hmm. and Jewish teaching, you know, like not just the wisdom, like but also the the, the bringing it to life is we are interconnected we are dependent on one another and in that dependence it is there's beauty and there's um there's that is what sustains us and that is what orients us toward you know how to be in the world and how to act yeah a great way to end thank you so much jessica for for such a rich conversation i really appreciate it um, I want to thank my my guest, Rabbi Jessica Rosenberg, for our wonderful conversation on trauma and resilience and on, on Reset, Resilience Practices for Jewish Social Justice Organizations. For more information, you can look on hashivenu.fireside.fm or on reconstructingjudaism.org. And you can also find more resources on ritualwell.org. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and you've been listening to Hashivenu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience. Mm-hmm.